Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm David Michon. Architecture, as phenomenally public as it is in practice, is most often discussed and debated only within the industry. That, with the advent of social media, is perhaps changing, as discussions about what is good or bad, what works and doesn't, what is the responsibility of architects and not, is all hashed out on Instagram and Twitter, and invites the general public to weigh in. In this episode, we have two very vocal commentators, one an artist and designer, the other a communications consultant, who pick apart the value of digital forums for discussion and the future of debate in the industry. Hi, I'm Rob Fein, Architectural Communications Consultant. And I'm Adam Nathaniel Furman, artist and designer, here with my dog Mumu. Adam is an artist and designer of Argentine, Japanese and Israeli heritage based in London. He trained in architecture and fine art and works in those areas as well as products, interiors, writing and teaching. His work has been exhibited around the world, including in New York, London, Eindhoven, Minneapolis, Vienna, and Glasgow, and is held in the collections of many esteemed galleries and museums, such as the Design Museum, the Carnegie Museum of Art, and the Abbott Museum. Rob has worked within the architectural community for the last 10 years, publishing books and helping practices communicate both internally and with the outside world, from large, globe-trotting offices to small, bespoke studios. He believes in the power of design to improve our daily lives through practical and cultural implementation. Rob is also the chairman of the board for the Museum of Architecture and advises the Black Horse Workshop, DKUK, and the London Society. So we um, chat a lot on Twitter, Mm -hmm. and less so on Instagram. And you once told me that Instagram, you think you have better conversations on Instagram, or more fruitful ones. Yeah, I mean, I, there was a period, um, I think from about 2011, 2010 to kind of 2014, where I was like enjoying Twitter quite a lot and having like, a lot of, um, <clears throat> I guess, substantial conversations in the sense that they were very meaningful for me with people who I really respected. Um, but then for some reason, I guess... I guess it kind of parallels the rise of like the alt-right and Trump and everything that the mood changed on Twitter for me. Um, and I found that there was a lot of negative, I mean, there was quite a bit of negativity actually before that, but it was always in a sort of more quite a respectful tenor uh, and it became less respectful afterwards. Um, and having got my Instagram account, I find I found that first of all, there wasn't very much communication at all. There was just liking but then slowly, people started to, when they wanted to have conversations, DM me, so private messaging me. Oh. So I actually started to get really good conversations, people approaching me privately, which meant that the tenor and the tone of the conversation was like really relaxed, open and friendly because of the nature of it being private. So it's kind of like hidden conversations. Because I joined Twitter, at, I guess, at Zenith, and then took a break. For which a was when? I'm not really sure. It must have been around when you were saying the sort of 2011 time frame. And it was really kind of the de facto social media platform, especially for conversations. And then I took a sort of breather because work just and Twitter just did not coalesce. And then I've come, I've come back to it. And I feel that there is the sewer elements, which everyone always refers to. Mm. But also I'm... I think because I'm free to have an opinion and I'm not 
weighed down by working for a company where I could get in trouble. Uh, there's just a lot of interesting conversations, and I've and these I think the the new predilection for long threads, uh, which maybe wasn't the case before. People have some really good conversations where they change their minds, and I've actually seen, especially I've some architects who are very opinionated, actually stop and say, "Okay, you've you've changed my mind. You've proved me." You've proved me wrong. And that I think that's really interesting. And I've developed relationships with people and I've had, you know, digital friends come up to me at events and say, oh, it's so-and-so and uh, that thing you said was really funny. And I just, <laughs> I just, I think I'm having a very positive experience and I'm, I think a lot of people are learning a lot. So I've, I've worked with quite a lot of architects that do public work. And they are sharing information online and then kind of invite and then getting to know each other on Twitter and then inviting each other around to each other's studios or hosting shared events. What, what do you mean by public works? So I, get, I guess public housing, like, you know, uh, social affordable housing, L- probably less so schools because it's so competitive mm. that people are f- a bit unwilling to, to <laughs> explain how on earth they got on a framework or... Uh, or met met a client, but um, you know. So I just I, I'm just seeing I'm seeing a real positive rise counter to what a lot of people think about Twitter, and um, I've encouraged some architects to join who've always feared it. Who have you managed to make join? I don't want to I don't want to name and shame people, but I mean I've you know just, name is, no name and celebrate name and celebrate. <laughs> but I mean, don't, Who yeah, we follow? I think direct directors of medium sized practices. Um, you know, are actually maybe it's because they feel that Twitter is matured enough that now they they think well Instagram and Snapchat and everything that's too young for me that's my kids <laughs> but Twitter is has been around it's a bit more statesman's like maybe I can Literally, join in but yeah <laughs> yeah definitely but I've you know I've noticed well I, this was nothing to do with me but I've noticed that Charles Holland and Sean Griffiths mm. have sort of embraced Twitter more in the last two years. Well, Sean wasn't, I don't think he was even on he was, it. He wasn't even he suddenly, on it. He suddenly appeared, which is actually very welcome. And it's kind of like, it was always Sam. Mm. Sam was the big, from fat, Sam was always the yeah. big he's Twitter person. And he's just sort of taken a back seat. Mm. And now he he's using it to kind of share information about his practice. Whereas Charles is having the most amazing, nuanced conversations. He kind of, I, I mean, he did, he always did. Did he? Did he? Maybe he goes in waves like I do. Yeah, probably. Because, I, I mean, I, I do remember on numerous instances. Because, um, I mean, he was one of the most inspirational people for me when I first came onto Twitter. Uh, okay. So maybe it was a matter of waves, depending on, like, workloads. I don't, I don't yeah. Know. And and um, also nice to have a relaxed chat with someone like Peter Barber, who I think is a really excellent architect. And then, but you wouldn't normally engage with. I wouldn't. I'm not one of those people that goes around to a studio and knocks on the door and says, hi, I'd like to... Look at your models, which I imagine maybe you've done. No, no, no. 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 I'm also I, I'm one of those people that's actually really shy in person, um, but very comfortable digitally, um, and grew up with the internet. So um, I'm very, very happy and open. Uh, you know, loud, <laughs> sometimes controversial online, and then kind of very shy in, in person. So no, I definitely don't turn up at offices. Um, it's sometimes like years and years and years of knowing someone on Twitter, and then I meet them in person, and they're sort of a bit surprised by how low-key I am. Unless I'm on stage with a drag queen, which is different. Yes. Yes, <laughs> which was that strange event that I organised 
at the Hippodrome, uh, which was terrifying. And I've sort of blanked a lot of it from my memory, but people have told me it was, it was, quite, so it was quite enjoyable. <laughs> it was really fun. And I do, I do think there is a urgent need for more interesting events in the architectural community. Are you going to organise more? Yeah, you've yeah. got one coming up right now, actually. Yeah, I've got a Negroni talk coming up, um, which is an ongoing series. But it's me and lots of other people that organise them. Mm. Um, but uh, the... Uh, um, no, but I mean, I want to do bigger, more exciting, more dramatic... Architecture festival, as in not like the London Design Festival or the Architecture Festival. What is it called? London Architecture Festival? Festival of Architecture? Like literally do Glastonbury for architects. (laughs) No, I I think you can partner with those guys, but just do do something where it's not the worthy panel discussion, you know, where you, you know that people are only sort of mentally checking in a third of the time. Because if you can do something with a bit of razzmatazz then maybe you might hold their attention. Do you think that there's like, I mean, what are the forums out there that are interesting at the moment for having conversations? Because um, I'm just thinking about, I set up a few Facebook groups, mm. which for a while, uh, for a good couple of years actually, provided me with the kind of conversations that, because I took a step back from Twitter, and I still have, I'm still back away from Twitter, um, that kind of filled the gap. Uh, Post-modern society, classicism and modernity, late modern society, colour and architecture. Um, And because of the nature of Facebook groups, um, which is super different to like people's normal feeds where they just end up like posting too many political things and getting really angry about it. Like if it's a subject-based group, people tend to like become super geeks and be... You know, it's like a safe environment where we all know we like brutalism or we all know we like POMA. So let's just get really into the nitty gritty mm. of it. And I had some really, really great conversations. Um, I, I remember being, I remember being a sort of voyeur to the postmodernism group that you set up, mm. and it was just for for someone like me who is not trained, it was an amazing resource to start to understand a subject rather than just sort of picking up a book and trying to access it without any frame of reference, you suddenly had an entire community already having a conversation which you could sort of listen into. (laughs) Like when you're at school and you're sort of trying to listen to the cooler kids and understand their language. Um, (laughs) You know, this was, you know, a nerdy nerdy version of that. Or or rather dropping in on the uncool kids in this case. (laughs) Yeah, trying to to learn the maths club. What are they they doing? Uh, the chess society. Yeah, um, so I, but I, I think the gay chess society. <laughs> it's basically the poem society. I think <laughs> there are definitely links, aren't there, between uh, personality types? But I, I, uh, I think there is a problem with forums mm. in the community. So I, I guess I'm not. I have. I'm not experienced enough to set up anything online. But I am trying to create things in the physical world that anyone feels they can go along. So the Negroni Talks, the idea is some of the tickets are paid for because the venue has to make money, but 60% of the tickets are free. And we are trying to advertise to younger audiences, who, you know, might not, so students and or just in, or people just you know, outside of the community who are just interested. We're trying to bring them in. But it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and I guess students have quite worked quite hard so when we advertise we don't always get a great response rate we get one or two you know a few through the door 
but with Stud- students wise students wise yeah. students wise yeah, yeah i mean they're the, normally like panicking yeah um with the very large quantities of work that they have to produce i mean maybe a good group to target more would be the sort of just graduated mm. you know now you're you're out of that world and you can brains already atrophying yeah 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 <laughs> totally <offices>. right <laughs> needing I, some input and some stimulation intellectual stimulation i've i've heard it again and again from you spend your life getting into your dream big practice and then you push toilets around on revit yeah <laughs> or as i did you spend three months doing handrails in a fire escape and <laughs> just which was wow what an experience and, that was and also, but also you have to stay up till 3 a.m to do that that, to do that (laughs) stuff so you don't even get to go out and have a life afterwards but so no we're trying trying to encourage that and also i don't think so there's a i think there's a misconception that you need to have the head of the practice on a panel to draw a crowd and it's nonsense and if you have an interesting subject and a broad array of speakers most of the time people don't know who any of them are anyway and they'll just come along and so we're we are going a bit more left field and having uh, younger practitioners on the, on the maybe sometimes mix them up with some bigger names. But that's actually quite nice. I, th- I think the idea that people, if people come for the subject mm. rather than the name, I think it puts people in a slightly different mood from the start, from the beginning, which is a bit more positive. It's less sort of, because architect, I'm sure you know architects do have a, a sort of like overly respectful relationship to certain figures or an overly hateful relationship to certain figures yeah. if they're super famous. And it just sets up a weird tension in the room. Whereas if it's people they don't know, they come a little bit more open-minded, a little bit like you go to a movie where you have low expectations and it blows you away, even though everyone yeah. else said it was yeah. like, meh. Um, they, they turn up and then if there's loads of, there's certain people on the panel like super interesting, then it allows them to get into it in a way which, you know, if they're going to see Heatherwick and they're like, meh, Heatherwick, hate him. You know, their mindset already before. Or Peter Barber. Worship, worship. Um, yeah, so never, it's a kind of intriguing. You should do it like without. Don't mix them up. Don't have the big names. No, no. That would be really nice. That, yeah, I think it is. I think is, And I think there's a lot of appetite for it. And also, someone... I was talking to a very experienced chairperson once. I can't remember who it was. But I, I was sort of... I jumped on the bandwagon of the old... Oh, I hate the people who put their hand up and say, this is not really a question. Oh, yeah. And uh, this chairperson sort of told me off. And they were like, well, actually, sometimes the comments spark the most interesting responses mm. because someone might say something which is deeply stupid or deeply <laughs> offensive or quite entertaining. And it, often the ch- often if you try to frame something as a question, this was their opinion, it becomes quite um, pedestrian. So uh, I'm, now, I'm now converted. And so, so you I, think people should say comments and questions, please, rather than... I, yeah, I think just let's hear from the crowd. And in fact, I've, to the point where I've even, I've chaired a couple of things. I've even said, does, it, does anyone have a comment? Does anyone want to weigh in on the subject? And sometimes the people on the panel look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's, yeah. uh, you know, otherwise it's not a conversation. It's, it's, a, it's a lecture with, with sort of intercut responses. I guess when it, when it comes to like um, the type of comments that, I don't like so they're the ones that I'm, I think of when people complain about this is a comment not a question. It's the like really, it's the professor, yeah, who's embittered yeah. and miserable, yeah, and you know wrote a book that no one read twenty five years ago, and he sits there and he puts his hand up and he talks for fifteen minutes until somebody somebody yeah. has to aggressively cut yeah. him off, um, which seems to happen quite a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I only think of those. 
when I think of it in a negative way. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, exactly. So I'm not thinking of, you're right, I'm, I'm thinking of the younger people who should, I think, should be given a voice. But I, you're right, I don't think that old academic is needs a voice all the time. Maybe and in my t- book <laughs> on chapter three. <laughs> Although um, I have to say, I think Jeremy Till is a exception to that because I find I've heard him do some long comments at events, and I found them deeply entertaining and often, as in funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think he intends them to be oh, funny. Really? Oh no! <laughs> but but We're laughing at you, not with you. No, but. I... <laughs> I, but I, I mean, funny in the sense that he, someone on the panel has been ridiculous, mm. and he's quite, he's, you know, able to put their comment into, you know, into a proper perspective for the audience, um, which I enjoy. You're listening to Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. In conversation is artist and designer Adam Nathaniel Furman and architectural communications consultant Rob Fein. I think you get asked to do lots of things. How do you manage that? Because um, you want to... I know that you like to be part of a wider conversation in the industry, but at the same time, you've got to work. Yeah, so that's... Uh, I, I guess I'm a sort of like at an interesting period where I'm just figuring stuff out. Because, I, I mean, for a very long time, I worked in practices and I did my own work on the side. Uh, so I didn't have time for these things. Mm. Um, and and it's just the past couple of years I've gone on my own. And because I'm... I've I'm kind of I don't want to have a sort of office. I don't want to have staff. I do want to manage stuff on my own. Um it does mean that it's quite difficult to balance my time. And in being in London there is a lot of one gets a lot of especially if you're I just I guess a little bit outspoken or just slightly different or something. You get a lot of invitations to speak or be part of things. Um and not so many invitations for paid work. No. <laughs> so um and then you know, those things do take time and they take preparation as well. And then I find it a little bit difficult to sort of actually carve out space and time for producing and designing and doing my own work, considering the office is me, effectively. And and having a life or not? Um, or is that it? That's enough? Yeah, I mean, I've never really had that much of a life. <laughs> I've got Moo the dog, who's right below me now. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, compared to, compared to before... Um, it did become clear to me a few years ago that um, I wasn't particularly happy with the amount of time that I was spent uh, working, um, the, the, the kind of no time, the, the, the lack of downtime that I had. And so I actually I am trying to have a little bit of a balance, um, which is something that architectural training doesn't really teach you no. to seek out or even be aware that is necessary to be healthy mentally. <laughs> um, so I'm sort of trying to balance those things, which is... Um, a lot easier than, for instance, friends uh, who have children now, um, <laughs> which throws a whole other bag uh, into the mix. Yeah, which is something I'm have um, recently in the last couple of years dealing with, and uh, I've found it tremendously useful. As a so, I I don't think I was at home enough because mm. I was all constantly like, well, this I can't miss this thing, and I can't miss that thing. And so I, I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't at home as, as much as most husbands. Um, but having a kid is like, well, that's the end of the no debate, really. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I want to spend, well, obviously I want to spend time with my wife, but I also want to spend uh, time with my son. She won't listen to this, so I'm not worried. But do you find something, something that I've, I've found um, is that 
some sometimes digital conversations, so like the chats that I have on DMs in Instagram, for instance, can get really personal, meaningful, and deep in a way that sometimes a pub chat can't. <laughs> or actually, I find that conversations in person sometimes don't really can't really get as broad as it can get when you're having a conversation that sometimes one of you leaves for a few hours and then comes back and you keep chatting about a different subject. And you can drill quite deep when it's text-based and you're not physically with the person. Um, and there is an alcohol there and there isn't a time limit. I think I have a... I have a different effect on people in that because of the nature of my work, I like to ask them lots of questions and then... The with architecture, it very soon becomes about something personal. So you start talking about the work, mm. and then it becomes about fears about the business. You see, I, d- I can't, I mm. cannot imagine <clears throat> being an architectural designer because the business model just seems absolutely terrifying. Yeah. That you just have so, so little uh, security about when the next job is coming. But anyway. But then that soon bec- it soon becomes very personal. So people tend to seem to open up to me, people I don't know very well, because mm-hmm. I've asked them questions about their their work, and then it quickly becomes something else. You're an architectural therapist. <laughs> well, do you know I've had when I have when like... I do workshops yeah. with the directors of practices. If there's multiple directors, mm. there's there's off, they've clearly not spoken usually for years mm. about what they're doing. Because they've never had the chance. They've been working so hard mm. and their worries. So when I talk about, you know, when I do the sort of standard, you know, threats and weaknesses of the business, they um, they open up to, to me and to each other, uh, often have some kind of realisation that they need to make a major change. And then at the end of the session, they'll often go, oh, that was like therapy, but a lot cheaper. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> up your prices. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's actually. I mean, that, that's that's interesting. I'm um, just to annoy. I'm going to say something that I said in the conversation before we started recording mm-hmm. um, was that I've found it, and I think, and I think this is probably the same for a lot of designers and a lot of architects. I've found it really quite lonely and scary um, going into business, um, just trying to understand how one gets business, like how one plans, how you know what is business development, like just the whole world of of sustainable existence effectively um has i've had there's been like sort of no information and i've tried to find mentors and i've tried to speak to people and it's been unforgiving like i haven't found that there's one person relatively recently who did open up to me and it was so so important to me that one opening up and it, it helped me so much. Um, and I, it just made me wonder, it made me question like actually why as a design community, why as an architectural community, do we not discuss that? What It's a little bit like in, in music, right? 90% of songs are about love. I think 1% of articles about music are about love songs. <laughs> like everything else is just like intellectual conversations and discussions about music. And it's the same. Like I think 90% of the worries and fears and concerns and panics in architecture and design are about work and getting work and mm. planning that. And then like 0% of the conversations are about that. And I'm just wondering why, because you, you're involved there. It's like, why is it like that? No, well, I, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, I think the RBA uh, removed that fee structure there were various recessions. Mm. People got highly competitive. You know, there were more architects than clients. And people got scared to talk and mentor and support someone who might come up and 
who might rise up and steal your business. I think there's a general fear in the industry that no matter how big you are, even if you're like Grimshaw, mm. that if you mentor, they're very nice, by the way, but if, you, if you're someone like that and you mentor a smaller practice, they might suddenly do an airport that you wanted. And it's irrational. But on the plus side... You think it's irrational? Or it's a well-grounded fear? No, I, th- I think it's irrational because I think if you are a good practice mm. and you do great airports like Grimshaw, then you should feel confident that you will always get them on your merits. And if you don't get them, maybe that other practice was better suited to that job. It's, do you know what I mean? It's, mm. You should be confident in that way. But the good news is that, I don't know if you've seen the London Practice Forum, which is something that Russell Curtis from RCKA set up, which is um, a collective of practices who are going to band together and share resources, share staff, share fears and worries and talk about upcoming issues that are facing them. I think it's about 25 to 30 practices. Pooling resources? Yeah. Well, that's the... In the wow, long, how's that going to work? Well, I, uh, they're, still, they're still figuring it out. But it's this idea that... Wow. I know it sounds, that's kind of that, just the very idea of that is amazing because it's such a massive issue of just scaling up and scaling down constantly in architecture depending on workloads. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, Exactly. And I think that, you know... Uh, if you've got a practice of 40 people and things go a little bit quiet and you can you can second five people to a smaller practice yeah, that just, just won a bigger job and needs help now, then it's really good for the architects because they get a sort of mix of experiences. It's, you know, you're not just always stuck in one company. But it's not, and it's not just staff. I mean, they're, you know, they're going to, they're, they're, I think they're um, drafting a charter. If, you know, like say we... We will adhere to these mm. ways of working and basically doing stuff that the RBA should be doing, <laughs> but, but are not. Well, um, Russell's doing it. <laughs> Russell, so Russell just, he's very active, isn't he? He is very active. And uh, I think people see his musings online and think it's someone sounding off, but he's often sharing important information, you know, about planning, about procurement. And he, that's his expertise and he's giving it away online for free. free. Mm. And so I think sometimes when people say negative things to me about, you know, in general architects who say too much on Twitter, I'm like, well... Really, they say that? Yeah. So what, what do they... What, like, what kind of things seems, seem to tick them off? I think there's probably more, more architects than less think that um, Twitter is a waste of time and that... Uh, any architect who's on there should be concentrating on the work. And so it comes back to that studio culture that we've talked about. Mm. It's like you put the long hours and you dedicate yourself 100% to it. And if you do anything outside of that, Mm. you're not staying true to your profession. I don't know how to describe it. So there's a lot of people who have, you know... It is considered almost a religious calling by a large portion of the community. Yes, and not and not even necessarily consciously so. It's just say you're just indoctrinated and you just think this is how this is it. It's like there was that um I was I listening to a podcast or having a conversation in the pub, I can't remember it all blurs into one now, but mm. there was people were talking about, you know, the sort of um minimalist modernist aesthetic and how it you know, it's a relatively modern thing mm. and it has sort of taken architects over and they feel that, that is a, a tr- there's a truth to that form of design, whereas actually it's a tiny blip in the history of, of architecture. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't think you. I don't think you can have an objective truth. Truth. No, and they react very aggressively against anything that sort of doesn't conform to that, which is something that yeah, I have to live with. <laughs> but I. But you know, it is. It's. I think it is changing, and I think there is a changing of the guard coming. I really do. I mean, I think you know. A lot of the younger practices I know, you know, love that rational stuff, but they're sort of becoming a bit more playful with it and trying to insert it into more boring contexts. Mm. But then everyone just dismisses them as POMO. Because <laughs> obviously anything that's slightly different is just called POMO and dismissed by the older generation. Yeah, but I just think there's f- fewer and fewer of them as they sort of retire off to their Caribbean islands and yachts. <laughs> I don't think any architects can afford that. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of just the really super big Yeah, it's guys. Foster. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the only one. Uh, maybe maybe Rogers. Um, God, I've just literally got that image of Foster on his giant inflatable unicorn in my head. Well, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more impressed with his floating bike, which he pedals across That was pretty Lake awesome Geneva. as well. Yeah. What a character. So architects should talk more in forums where they feel comfortable and empowered to speak, whether it's online or in person. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I, I think that we should... That there should be some sort of Alcoholics Anonymous for architects. Like Architects Anonymous. Okay. Oh, my God, yeah. So That's many, a really so good many name. AAs, Architectural Association, but Architects Anonymous, um, where, like, total anonymity is allowed and, like, you leave your baggage at the door. Um, and you come in and, like, it's all about, like, truth and honesty. And, it's funny. And it happens regularly. I think this would be, like, really nice. It, that would be not... What, as in a, a, a safe space to meet? Yeah, or, yeah. Because... And scheduled, like, regularly. So it's not, like, every time having to, like, publicise an event. And it's just literally, like, like yeah, like a room somewhere that, like, people can turn up to. I think it'd be... And a, it's sort of organic. Immeasurably useful. And did you... I mean, did you ever come across Arch Leaks? I think it was called. Archileaks. Was it called Archileaks? Yes. Yeah, okay. I can never remember the spelling. They got sued. Did they? <laughs> they had to shut down because they got sued. I remember they shut down. Yeah. But, you know, people were... I actually thought... I mean, I worked at a big practice at the time. Mm. Which practice? Uh, Roger Stoke Harbour and Partners. Mm. RSHB. RSHB. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that if there's someone at that practice thinking of going to another practice... And one of their peers has written anonymously on this site what it's really like to work there. I think that's tremendously useful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and having a forum where, like, nothing leaves that forum, it really allows for that sort of candid conversations across the board about everything. If it's, like, aesthetics or, like, workplace treatments or worries about your business. Um, Maybe it could be less... I think the problem with Archileaks was that it was organised by practice, which was... That, organized by what do you mean? So you you went onto there were pages for Zahas there were pe- there was a page for oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Fosters like a glass door kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. basically it was inviting that kind of response. Yeah. Whereas if you could talk about your, the practice that you work in and the particular problem you're having, but not get bogged down in who you are or where you're working, maybe because otherwise people could figure out who, who you, you were. Are. <laughs> but yeah, to have a... To have, but then like having no digital trace, literally just being in a room somewhere like regularly would be really... I don't know, I think I would I would kind of enjoy that. Um, and, it would, and it would get rid of the baggage of like, will people know, you know, having to organise PR stuff. It, it really... I find that in those situations, it, people relax a lot 
because there's no the audience is oh god sorry the audience are the speakers yes and there is no outside there are no outside eyes and there's no expectations um provide digestives or something (laughs) we're actually uh, at the negroni talks we are trying to come up with a format for like an open mic night talk so no speakers no speakers have a subject yeah but just say um uh there will be a chair moderator and then just come along and we'll if we need to we could have a couple of plants to get the conversation going okay but have you ever, like that would be really fun like um the poetry cafe in in Covent garden has has like stand up like nights where you just turn up and you have your three minutes yeah everyone can have their three minutes and it's so much fun i always get kicked off stage because my my wings too long <laughs> but somebody's there with a the bell <laughs> but do you think so do you think do you think really people fun. would do that or do you think they'd be too timid so that's the thing. So that, that's very. So like my, I think the architects anonymous would be like gentler and more like loving yeah. and kind of thing. That would be like performative and fun, which yeah. definitely excludes a lot of people. Yeah, because it's only certain people like it. But but totally fun. And yeah. why not? Um, I think the more of these things are better. I think honestly, think that the, I think the end of social media is nigh. Um, I've been asked a couple of times recently on Instagram. I'm like, it's over. Architects haven't used it properly, and it's too late. Um, you know, it's literally over. People just see it as the evil, evil corporate ov- overlords controlling our lives. Um, and I think these kinds of things, if we can get them going, it's very much uh, the direction that the conversation and uh, mediation between people is going. Oh, yeah, mm. open, definitely. Like, open my archipoet nights, not or just, like, architectural drama. I can imagine you get people, you can have a night where everyone has to dress as their subject. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Murray has been asking me to do a buildings ball where people dress up as buildings for about a decade and I would love to do it but uh, yeah I need to find the right group of people who will actually turn up in Mm. costume oh there is a contemporary British architect that will all just be brick grids (laughs) that would be great too I would love that spot the difference (laughs) oh no some arches on some of them yeah a rake and light yeah (laughs) yeah That was a conversation between artist and designer Adam Nathaniel Furman and architectural communications consultant Rob Fain. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at White City Place, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes. Give us a rating and write a comment. It really helps. Until next time.